listening to the Retirement Remix Show with financial advisors and hosts Chip Munn, that's me, and John Tate of Signature Wealth Group. Get ready for a bite-sized dose of timely and actionable financial planning and retirement tips alongside remixed retirement stories from real people just like you. Listen in now to be inspired, find direction, and build your own retirement remix. John Tate, what's up, man? Chipman, happy Friday. Appreciate it, man. It's good to be back. I was re-listening to one of the old episodes and just reliving your experience on your anniversary. So mm. I listened to one from a couple of weeks ago, and it reminded me what a good time that was for y'all. And it reminded me that we're getting back to normal to the extent that there is a normal. Yeah, it's been nice to make some progress there. It has. It's nice to be able to feel like you can freely do things without having to think two or three times about it and then have anxiety about it the whole time you're doing it and just makes everything less fun. But yeah, we can start having fun again, I think. Well, and as folks who are planners for a living, it has been incredibly difficult to make plans when you don't know what's going to be open, what's not, how travel plans can be affected. And so for me, it has been like for everybody, it's been a difficult time because it's been hard to kind of get your arms around things. And, you know, one of the things that as we kind of talk through our series, that can be kind of hard to get your arms around both financially and emotionally is the idea of selling your business. You know, we build a business over years and years, and we've had good conversations over the last couple of weeks, John, about folks who are kind of whether in retirement or not who are either starting or buying a business, but there can be a lot that's involved in selling a business. What are your thoughts on whether or not that's something we should expect to see more of and really kind of just the general trajectory of business transference? So we talked about building a business and the things that went into that and buying a business and now we can finally get to the heart of the matter, which is what do you do if you've done something that has worked and, and it has value and you want to sell it to someone else where you found a buyer? When was the last time you sold or what was the biggest thing you've ever sold, Chip? Probably my last house, I would imagine, uh, is probably the biggest thing. Any anxiety there during the process? How many different steps did you go through to sell it? I mean, it, it wasn't just an open and shut case or was it? No, it wasn't. I don't think it ever is, right? There are a lot of things that go into any kind of transaction like that, again, both financially and emotionally, because you have some attachment to it and nothing's just that simple. It doesn't matter what it is. Well, yeah. And anything that we take time to acquire over a period of time, anything that we take time and energy to build, there's not ever going to be a spot where you're not somehow, some way emotionally attached to that thing, you know, whether it be just a, an item or a business. And I think there are plenty of people in this country that over the last few decades have built businesses, independent ventures in the United States. And now those folks that have built these businesses are ready to retire. I think if you look at the Better Business Bureau or something like that. They put out uh, different stats about businesses, but I think baby boomers are getting ready to think about selling about two to three million small businesses in the United States. And those businesses 
employ about 25 to 30 million people. So this is a big deal. There's going to be a lot of this activity going on, I think. And there's going to be a lot of transition. And you know, unfortunately, as a business builder or a business owner, sometimes we focus on the building, the running of the business, making sure everything's going smoothly. But one of the things we don't think about is what happens in that period of transition. What we don't think about is having a succession plan. Is that something you find when you talk to business owners that are in the thick of it, so to speak? Yeah, it is. And of course, you and I, as business owners, we understand, you know, we've spent the better part of two decades building a business. And so you have all kinds of thoughts around that. But, you know, the truth of the matter is there are a lot of business owners that like working. And so that's a big part of some of the struggle that can come. I'll mention this, John, you and I have never talked about this, but I read a book called Built to Sell by a guy named John Warrilow and found it on Amazon. Somebody had referred it to me. And the entire conversation in the book is one of those where you're, you're following along with this business owner, but it's talking about building a business that can thrive without you. And it goes through this particular guy's kind of story and process. Building a business can be hard, but for a lot of owners, one of the troubles is by the time you finally get it built, it's your major asset to be able to sell and move into retirement, but it's also your income stream. And if you've built it well, maybe you struggle with selling it because it actually runs really good. And so you've got a success problem. So I think there are a lot of things that can really go into that. So John, with, I mean, when you start to look at and talk to people who are ready to sell, what are some of the steps that they need to be looking into as, you know, when that seed starts to sprout a little bit, what are some of the things that folks need to keep in mind and kind of what steps should they begin to take? It's a process, but I think one of the places you could start in the beginning is to call your Avengers to the table and form that team, you know, your team of superheroes, bring in your financial advisor, bring in your CPA, bring in your business attorney that you've used to create documents and business structure before, bring those people in, bring them to the table and start the process of having the people, the professionals around you start to help you in the process because each one of them can bring something to the table because each one of them has a vested interest in making sure that you are successful. And then the fourth piece of that team that is difficult because it, you know, it may cost a little bit more money. This is the one I see people struggle with the most. The other three are pretty easy to assemble, but the fourth person or team member is a business broker. And I don't know if you've helped any of your clients sell a business chip, but have you ever done that when they have hired a business broker? Yeah, I have. And one of the biggest things, just to circle back for a second about forming that team is, again, this can be the biggest decision of a business owner's life. And the last thing, and I say this to clients all the time about just general advice is I'm a financial advisor and a business owner. I have an accountant. I have an attorney. And None of us do one another's jobs very well. Sometimes we try to meddle in, but in reality, 
the benefit of bringing these people together is as a business owner in a really stressful time, the last thing you want is to take two or three people that you trust and have them give you different advice. And usually it's just because of a perspective that if you put those people together, bring them together, like John said, as this team, then they have an opportunity to kind of hammer that stuff out either with or without you in the room and to give you consolidated advice. It's a little bit like mom and dad. If you went to mom and dad and you trust them both and you love them both and you're asking for good advice and they give you opposite advice, it's a tough position to be in. And so that's one of the reasons for bringing these people together. But yeah, John, we have worked with people who are in this situation who have brought in whether it's a business broker, we've worked with investment bankers, and they do bring a specialized area of expertise to the table. In some cases, they actually bring buyers. And so there's a real process to selling a business. Now, that said, most people, if you've been in business for any period of time, you begin to get at least a baseline of knowledge of what the industry expectations are in your field, in your category. So you can start there, but often even just having a consultation with an investment banker or a business broker, and a lot of those, it just kind of depends on how big your business is as to what the title of that person sometimes kind of is. But it can give you some additional perspective. And like anything else, I think you want to be able to engage that kind of person if you feel like there's going to be sufficient value to you in bringing them along. You know, sometimes we get emotionally attached to what we've built. And so our idea of what it's worth can sometimes vary greatly from what somebody else is willing to pay for it. And having that third-party valuation or a business broker come in and help you figure out how realistic your expectation is, it can sometimes set the table for an easier transition and easier sales process, and sometimes make it easier to find a buyer. But even in our business, when my father sold his financial planning practice to me and the team that we have in Newburn, he hired a third-party valuation business to come in and tell him what made his business valuable to others and what potentially other buyers would see as shortcomings or things that may detract from the price. And it helped him figure out what to expect and then also help him figure out what might the trouble areas be that I could potentially fix and make my business more valuable before the time of sale and potentially bring in more money. And I think that's another aspect of these professionals that, you know, sometimes you can find some of those answers from your financial advisor, your CPA, your attorney. And sometimes it takes an industry professional that does this for a living, that buys and sells practices or whatever the business is to help identify some of those issues. And so that's one of the reasons I think that's kind of an important last piece of that team that you're trying to assemble. What are some of the other things that you've seen or you've done, Chip, to get a business or help someone else get a business ready for sale? I think the other thing that someone like that can do is they can advise you on the different kinds of buyers, right? There, there are, you know, financial buyers, you know, somebody who just wants to invest in the company and not necessarily run it. It's just a financial investment for them. There are strategic buyers. So maybe a competitor or somebody who is in an aligned 
business or field where there are strategic reasons that make sense. And so it's always important, I think, John, to look through all the different kinds of reasons. It's funny to me, though, that you bring up your dad and selling the practice. We were having a conversation last night over dinner, and my middle son is at a point, he's a junior in high school. He thinks that he wants to come into our business someday. His brother is studying financial planning, and we were talking, and he said something about, one day I'll get your part of the business. And I was like, if anything, one day you'll buy my part of the And he's like, buy it? What do you mean, buy it? It's one of those things where even transfers inside of a family, right, can be really complicated. And so I think that there are just steps that you have to go through. I think that in all of these cases, again, it's important to remember. And I had to remind my son, like, hey, bro, this is my retirement plan. You know, at some point, again, for a business owner, it's both their income stream and their largest asset. And so there are a lot of things that go into preparing it. Yet one of the first things that I see people do that makes a lot of sense to me is cleaning up their financials. The biggest thing that can really mess up a transaction is a lack of transparency. Yet when you get into something, buying a business, a transaction like this, there's a large element of trust involved, particularly in the details and the numbers. And the more murky those things are, chances are the more a buyer is going to hedge the price they're willing to pay you because they worry that there's some unknowns. And it makes it really unclear to them what the potential profit in the business is. You know, one of the ways that I've seen people avoid that is to really work with their accountant to clean up their financial statements and to really pull things together to give a buyer a clear picture, to go ahead in advance and pull out those things and note those. There are a lot of business owners who run expenses through their business because it makes sense tax-wise that later down the road for a prospective buyer, you really don't want that information included because it's not necessarily an expense that the business would have going forward. So that's a big part. Pulling together the financial information and getting that clean is a big deal. What about you, John? Yeah, I think that's where if you look at one part of the team that you've assembled that can help you with that, that's the CPA. They're going to be the ones that help you collect and present sometimes up to three years worth of data. As you know, my background is in equity research. And so when you're researching a company, They'll provide 10 Qs on a quarterly basis or the 10K, the annual statement. And once you get to know a company really well, almost the first place you jump to when you open up one of these statements are the footnotes, where the explanation is of what the numbers mean and where they came from. And that's something that sometimes, if it's not a strategic buyer, if it's a different kind of buyer, like you alluded to before, that may not know the industry back and forth, you definitely want to have your financials laid out in a way with footnotes in some cases that can prepare that buyer for to learn, to learn a little bit more about the industry and to help them understand what's going on in the numbers and to just increase the amount of transparency that is there. And some of the other ways you can clean up your financials if you have family assets on the books. I don't run into this as much anymore as I used to, but you want to get rid of those cars, boats, and loans. 
just clean it up, make it look like it is a business without ties to anyone else. And then obviously you can do what you can to, on the opposite side of the fence, vet the credit worthiness of interested buyers before even starting the negotiating process. It's like, uh, you know, if you're going to buy a house and you get pre-approved, that makes everybody aware that you have the ability to follow through with the transaction. And this type of transaction here when you're selling a business is really no different there. But after you've cleaned up the financials and you've gone through the steps, talked to the CPA, it's time to do something. And this is one of the steps that is really the hardest. I think for my dad, this was the part that tripped him up over the longest period of time. And that is preparing your exit strategy. And one of the best pieces of advice there is don't wait for a health or a family succession issue or a competitive threat to your business. Don't wait for something else to make the decision for you. It's important to start planning ahead of time for this exit strategy. And depending on the kind of business, your exit strategy could be a three-year period. It could be a five-year period. Some of them are like turning on and off a light switch. Most of them are not like that. So preparing the exit strategy is extremely important. Would you agree with that, Chip? Yeah, I think that it's a little bit like, you know, as I was listening to you, John, it's a little bit like if you think about when you want to sell your car, right? You kind of want to sell your car while it's running good. Like the last thing you want to do is to be in a position where you're going to a dealership, getting dropped off by an Uber because the car you're about to trade in has somehow broken down. And again, this is tough stuff, man. It's hard when you're talking about your business. It's also hard. The idea of buy low, sell high is the concept is selling things when they're going well, which is the hardest time to think about actually selling something. And so I think that you make a good point It is to the best you can to decouple the emotional and the financial part and to try to get just a clear plan, even if it's just directionally, the closer you get to having some of the plan laid out. Talk to a business broker, even if you're not in a place where you're ready to do that right then. Talk to your accountant and your financial advisor. Just begin to have the conversations because there are a lot of ways, and this is the other thing, John, that I wanted us to touch on before we go, is there are a lot of ways for these transactions to go. Like you said, it can be a three-year ramp. We've had financial advisory practices that we've bought where the advisor works in the business that we purchased for several years afterward, because there's a difference between enjoying the work and wanting to have the risk of the ownership of the business. And once you've owned the business, you understand the difference there. And so we've seen plenty of transactions. That's one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur is that when there is time to exit, there are a thousand different ways to do it because you can do it any way you want to for the most part. So what are some of the things, John, that you've seen in terms of maybe exit agreements that would be important just for people to consider? When you're looking at the exit plan, what you want to do is begin preparing your strategy. And sometimes the best exit strategy can include, it doesn't have to include a family member or, or something like that, but it could include a trusted employee, somebody who already works at the company, somebody who knows the ins and outs of the business, there wouldn't be a learning curve. You know, they're already there. The other employees already know them. And so there's not going to be any kind of change of culture. 
which can sometimes be difficult. And so, you know, sometimes if you're starting down that path, look inward first. And if you can't find any kind of solution there or can't figure out a way that somebody inside the company would want to step forward and take on the responsibility of owning and running that company over a period of time, begin to look outward. And that's where, you know, maybe you would look for a business broker to come in and and help you at that point if you can't find somebody inside the business who wants to do it. And it, it does. It's not a decision where you can force somebody to want to buy your business if they, if they work for you. I mean, if the desire is not there to own and run the business, and sometimes as a business owner, it's hard for us to imagine that somebody else wouldn't want to come in and run the business. But sometimes that's just not what people enjoy doing. And you have to understand that and accept that. And some of the troubles that I've seen other business owners get into is trying to force somebody inside the company to want to buy the business when that might not be something that they really would have enjoyment in going on. Are there other places in that exit strategy chip where you see people either succeed really well in what they've done or run into trouble spots? Anything we need to talk about there? Well, I think kind of the last thing I'd say, John, to put a bow on it is we've talked about this a handful of times kind of in this discussion that this is, for most business owners, is their largest asset. For most employees, it's their house or their 401k. For most business owners, it's typically the business. So I'd be remiss not to say, involve your financial advisor in terms of really getting your arms around what a transaction would need to look like in order to fit into the bigger picture of your financial plan. It is a transition from one thing to another. So I think that there comes a time for a lot of business owners, their business is their life. And the sale of a business in any form or fashion The whole point of having built it wasn't to have a job. It was, and you've talked about this a good bit, John, in previous episodes, to build an asset. And now that you have it, you want to make sure that the sale of that asset is going to facilitate your financial or your signature life plan. And you're going to want to make sure that it's done in a way that is really beneficial to you overall from a tax standpoint, from a pricing standpoint, you just want to make sure that all that works. And I think that that's really the key is that structuring something at the end of the day, John, the deal just needs to work for you in your life. Structuring a deal that works with the rest of your life. It's not typically maximizing every ounce of value. It's coming up with a deal that really fits into the bigger picture. John, any closing thoughts? The only thing I can think of yet left unsaid, and some of this I think we've talked about in previous episodes. So if you want more detail on this part of it, the planning ahead part anyway, you can go back and listen to some of the previous shows. But the exit strategy that is also important, I think, is, you know, especially when you're in a small town and you've built this business and that business is part of your identity. When you walk around town, people know you as such and such or the town's this or that and the business owner. It can be really hard once you sell the business to kind of separate yourself from that identity. And so part of that exit strategy, while you may not think about it, might not have anything to do with the business or how it runs. Part of your exit strategy should be planning for your life after the business and whether that involves still working, consulting, 
philanthropy, family activities, uh, travel hobbies, you know, all of those things, you know, put together that after business plan, that's kind of that last part of the exit strategy. But sometimes that can take some time to develop and you might need to start philanthropic work two or three years ahead of the time where you really want to focus on that full time. So having that as part of the exit strategy, it can sometimes be overlooked, but don't forget it. Now, there's a reason why we call our plans signature life plans uh, rather than just financial plans. And it's because the purpose of it is to fund your life and and the things that you're going to want to be able to do. And I think, John, you make a great point. It was one of those smart, I think he was an Italian dude, Cicero, that said, dig your well before you're thirsty. And I think that that can be very much applied to really, again, life after work, because for a lot of us, it's something that we build up and we put a lot of time into whether we own the business or not. So preparing for life after work is a big part of the retirement remix. John, great to have you. I'll see you again next week. Yes, sir. Next week. Here we have it. Another great episode. If you'd like to continue the conversation, here are four ways that we can help. First, complete the retirement success scorecard to discover whether or not you're on track to a successful retirement on your terms. You can find this at signaturewealth.com scorecard. Second, get a complimentary copy of my book, The Retirement Remix. Whether you're interested in real life retirement stories and inspiration from others like you, or you want to learn more about Medicare and Social Security, it's all in there. Go to theretirementremix.com to grab your copy. Third, listen in on bi-weekly office hours with our team. We host live virtual office hours to share new investment and planning information and answer your money, markets, and retirement questions. Find the details to join us at signaturewealth.com slash office hours. And fourth, schedule a complimentary strategy call with one of our advisors to make sure you're on track toward your ideal retirement. Go to signaturewealth.com and select the Signature Wealth office closest to you. We'll be back here next week for more on the Retirement Remix. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.